Hello, and welcome to episode number 23 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well. Well, it is very nice to be here with you today. I am still at home on our long break. It's been fantastic. I got to celebrate my birthday with my family for only the second time in the last 20 years, and I'm looking forward to being home to take the boys trick-or-treating next week as well. We have two more weeks until we get back at it, and as great as this time is, I'm looking forward to getting back out there to play again. So, mission accomplished with the long break here. It served its purpose well. Our last episode with Bob Crawford has done really well, and I want to thank and welcome all of the Avid Brothers fans who are now listening. I hope this has given you a chance to see how far-reaching the influence of the Grateful Dead is across all genres. On the show with me today is guitarist Stu Allen. I've known Stu for many years. He even spent a minute playing with DSO, and we've jammed on many other occasions as well. He's a great player who has certainly paid his dues over the years, uh, spent a long time in JGB with Melvin Seals, and has led to him becoming a fixture at Terrapin Crossroads and a member of Phil Lesh's bands on a regular basis. Also joining me today is Joshua Talley, a fellow drummer and a founding member of In Dead Nation, based out of Baltimore, Maryland. So, as always, I'm glad you're here. And before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month. With a subscription, you get exclusive bonus content, including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos, stories from home and on the road, community hang time with me, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And wherever you are listening to the podcast, please rate, like, and review. I appreciate your time, so let's get right to the show. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead, and today we're finally getting to one that I was holding off on. Uh, From my hometown, the legendary Chuck Berry. In 1926, Charles Berry was born right here in St. Louis, Missouri. He's considered one of the pioneers of rock and roll music, with guitar solos and vocals that focused on teen life. He had a major influence on the rock music that was to come. His biggest influences were Louis Jordan, who inspired his guitar riffs, and T-Bone Walker for his showmanship. Barry started performing in high school. While still in school, he was convicted of armed robbery and spent some time behind bars. Upon his release, he joined the Johnny Johnson Trio. Although he's not credited, Johnny Johnson co-wrote a lot of the songs, and this is who Go Johnny Go was written for. And you all might be familiar with Johnson as he spent some time in his later years as a member of Bob Weir's Rat Dog. Barry's big break came when the band traveled to Chicago in May 1955 and met Muddy Waters, who suggested he contact Leonard Chess of Chess Records. With Chess, he recorded his first single, Maybelline, which sold over a million copies, reaching number one on Billboard magazine's Rhythm and Blues chart. The bass player on that track was none other than Willie Dixon, who we featured here uh, quite a few episodes ago. In the 1950s, Barry stayed with Chess and became a bonafide superstar with so many hits. Just to name a few, Roll Over Beethoven, Sweet Little Sixteen, Memphis, Tennessee, Little Queenie, No Particular Place to Go, Rock and Roll Music, and so many more, all of them classics. He continued to record throughout the 60s and 70s, but he could not keep up with that success. I mean, who, who could, really? He toured the world constantly, all the way until his death in 2017. He always traveled solo, got paid in cash, and he always used local backing bands. Uh, I had the pleasure of playing with him on a few occasions here in St. Louis, and what a treat and honor that was. The accolades for Barry are many. He was in the inaugural class at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is part of several Rolling Stones all-time lists, including number five on the 100 Greatest Artists of All Time, and receives the highest praise from all of the rock greats who came after him. His legacy isn't all gold, though. He had several brushes with the law and legal problems throughout his life. I, I, I could do a whole episode on Chuck Berry, and maybe one day I will. Uh, he, I could go on forever. There's so much about the man. So many of his songs are classics in the genre that there really are too many to mention, and legions of bands have covered his tunes. The Stones, Elvis, The Beatles, Buddy Holly, and the list goes on and on. The Dead and the Jerry Garcia Band are certainly no exception. All the way back to the Jug Band days, they covered Roll Over Beethoven in Memphis, Tennessee, and over the years they also hit Run Rudolph Run, Round and Round, Promised Land, and Johnny Be Good. 
Jerry covered Let It Rock and You Never Can Tell on the Jerry Garcia Band. And it was tough for me to pick one to play for you all today, but I decided on Promised Land because it's a really good example of rock and roll, which originally meant the swing beat of the jazz players who kind of started the whole rock and roll movement juxtaposed over the straight beat that rock music was to become as it evolved. You can really hear how much swingier the groove is here than it is in the Dead's versions. So, here is Chuck Berry and the original 1964 version of Promised Land. I straddle that greyhound and rode him into Raleigh and on across Carolina. We stopped in Charlotte to bypass Rockhill. We never was a minute late. We was 90 miles out of Atlanta by sundown, rolling out of Georgia State. We had more trouble than turned into a struggle halfway across Alabama. And that hound rode down and left us all stranded in downtown Birmingham. Hi, my name is Beth, and I'm a psychotherapist and intuitive clarity coach. Do you desire a life that is in alignment with your authentic self and purpose? For the past 12 years, I've been helping my one-on-one coaching clients do just that with my three-step clarity coaching program. If you are ready to gain clarity by claiming your path, increase your confidence by activating your inner powers, and take soul-led action to create a life that is in alignment with your purpose and passions, then book a free 30-minute clarity call with me. You'll find the link on the sponsor page of the musicplaystheband.net and on my website, yourclarity.coach. I'm looking forward to supporting you on your journey. For today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town, we're heading east to Baltimore, Maryland to talk with drummer Joshua Talley of In Dead Nation. Okay, so I am here today with drummer Josh Talley from In Dead Nation out of Baltimore, Maryland. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. So, In Dead Nation, great name, uh, based out of Baltimore. From what you just told me, you live in Pennsylvania now, but not too far, so you make the commute. Um, what, From what I can tell, doing a little bit of research, you guys have been around for a while. Yeah, we have. We've actually, next year will be our 12th year, actually, playing dead music in Baltimore. We don't really go uh, further than the Maryland region. You know, we don't travel. We're just kind of a, almost like a family Grateful Dead tribute band in the heart of Baltimore. We play at a couple different places most of the time. And the musicians in our band also play in different bands. So it's kind of a, you know, a special group of, of guys. And the, the members have changed over the years a little bit here and there. But the, the latest incarnation of our band is pretty smoking hot and, and I'm having a good time in it. Can you give me like a brief rundown on your history and how you got started? Yeah, actually, I went to college down near Baltimore, a place called Towson University, and I had close friends, uh, Brooks Osmond, Mark Rudder, and we we just played music together all the time, just improvisational stuff, no, nothing really going out and playing for folks, but just for fun. We actually played original music when we were in school, some Grateful Dead covers, but it, it was it almost like the band had hit hit a wall. It wasn't really doing anything. And thankfully, Brooks, Osmond, the keyboard player, met a young man, CJ Borum, and he was super into the dead. He knew the riffs. He basically created the first part of Indead Nation. It was great. It exploded my one band, which was fun, and it created Indead Nation, which I've had more fun in than any other band I've ever been in. So 
that's kind of how it started. It blew up a band and it created this band. It's really fun. I, I really enjoy it and I need it. You know, I need to be out occasionally, not just in my home, scared of the world. I've got to get out. <laughs> sure, man. You the, and there's a different energy when you're actually playing for people, for sure. Um, what's the instrumentation then in the band? So I'm, dr- I'm the drummer. I'm kind of the Kreutzmann. We don't have a second drummer, but that's all right. I, I kind of groove on the dead during the period when Mickey was, was out. I kind of focus on my drumming a lot on that. Uh, Jason Brown is rhythm and Bobby songs. Jacobson can sing. He does sing sometimes. Uh, a lot of background. Paul's lead singer. David Freeman's a stand-up bass player. And we do have a keyboard player. They kind of float in and out. Uh, we have a gentleman, Marty, who plays on and off with us. Uh, Brooks Osmond, the original founder, he does also play on and off with us. So the keyboard seat's a little more fluid. Well, with, with playing with an upright bass, not just for the drummer, but for, for as a band, playing this music with upright bass, does that kind of alter the approach you all take to interpreting and performing the music? I don't know as much, like, because we had, we actually had a bass player and he passed, uh, Dean Clark, you know, God rest his soul. He was a good dude. He played an electric bass and uh, he was kicking. So I don't feel like a whole lot of difference with the upright. Um, Dave really knows the dead so well and he's such a good musician he he really just knows where to put in the right parts and and make it flow you know it's really cool do you cover all parts of the catalog or do you steer towards specific songs or eras when you guys are doing it i think it's a lot of it is 70s you know some 80s it's a mix and we don't go for a lot of the more complex songs not saying that most of the band could do them, but for me, you know, as a kind of a standard four, four drummer, I kind of tend to groove out more of the classics, just the, the R and B, the blues stuff that they did. Like we don't do the help and slip and stuff like that, which is cool, but we kind of stick to what, what our, what we're in like the pocket. Like I'm having a hard time saying it, but uh, we don't push it too far to the edge, except when we're playing maybe a standard, we may play the other one and then that goes way far out right. and then comes back to like a standard song. So I hope that made sense. It, it kind of made sense to me. It makes total sense. <laughs> you also, you guys cover a bit of JGB as well. We do. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. Um, at first in dead nation only played dead songs. Um, but I'm glad Garcia band is, has flowed in. I was lucky enough. I'm 48. So I was lucky enough to just catch some shows kind of at the end of the dead's run late 80s um and some jerry garcia band shows and boy i just had a blast of those shows and i love those tunes you know they're just rock and roll standards i dig that that's the that's my kind of drum you know i can't get into all the super technical stuff it's just not not my style i never learned how to do it but the rock and roll standards are the most fun for me well just with the description you gave about playing the groove stuff earlier the JGP catalog makes perfect sense for you guys to integrate that into what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know, it really is like second, that emotion, just that song right there. You can, I could feel so good into the pocket and the guitarist lead, the lead guitarist can just take it away, you know, and then the keyboards can trickle in and it's almost like it's not super complicated, but it feels so good. And, and people love it. You know, we've all loved it for so long. All of us in the Deadhead scene. So it's right. cool. You could take a one chord song and if it's grooving, it can go on forever and keep people uh, engaged. Exactly. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your view of the local community around your band. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, from the start, there's folks, I, God, I, I wish I could name them all or any of them because um, that have, have been there with us from the, from the start. Uh, some people have faded in and out, but overall lately, especially lately, it seems like people are more and more showing up to, to get some good vibes. And I don't know if that's because of COVID people were so cooped up for so long, but every show we play, not that it's a huge crowd, but it's a really enthusiastic crowd. It's people that really can appreciate that all of us in this band love this music so much and we're so passionate about it, the crowd, the people, they see that, you know, they, they, they appreciate that. We're not just phoning it in, you know, we don't have to do this at all. We all have other stuff 
in our lives, but we, we work to do this and they appreciate that a ton. It's great. That's awesome. What, what, what is it to you? What is it about this music that creates this amazing community and subculture? And, and on the musician side, there's a love of this music that so many musicians want to play it. Yeah. It's, I mean, for me, I got into it so young, like my sister, Kristen, who, um, her first show was in uh, Ventura County Fairgrounds in 85. She went with a, a few of her friends. And so the dead and the doors and 60s music kind of just filtered into my little developing brain. And, and that's kind of when I first thought, wow, this is interesting. And then when I saw my first show at the Cap Center in 88, it, I was ready for it. I kind of thought I knew what it was going to be. But then when I saw it and I saw the whole scene before they shut down all the vending and everything... It was just remarkable how everyone was getting along. I didn't see any fights. I didn't have any negative. There was no negativity. And then inside the show, whether I was on any substances or, or straight, it was the music, the feeling that this band is different than everything else I've ever experienced. It doesn't matter what other band it is. The Grateful Dead were just so, so different, um, so beautiful. And you could live in the moment. You could be right there saying, it doesn't matter how stressed I am or what problems I have or how poor I am or how rich I am. Right in this exact moment, I'm with these other people that feel the same way as I do. And we're, we're engaged with this band. And this band is engaged with us. It's like a whole mesh. It wasn't the band and the, and the audience. It was a whole mesh. I'm glad there's people well, like us, but I'm glad there's people like you. And in and and every town that there's people out there keeping that vibe alive, not only for you to be able to, <clears throat> excuse me, to play the music and feel good about that and get off on that, but to provide a service for all those people who feel the same way you do that want to be able to come out and hear it and know that they oh, I can go out and hear them. I can go out and hear them. Thank you all for playing this for us. Yeah, it's awesome. Your band, my band, whether you're national like you guys, local like Indead Nation, it's just, it's good vibes for a world that has so much struggle and anger and pain. There's still light and, and peace and all my little hippiness is coming out, but there there really is, you know? And yeah, man. I, I dig that. I dig yeah. that. Me too. And I want to thank you guys for, for doing your part and helping to keep it alive. It's, uh, I'm sure it's much appreciated by everybody in your community. So thank you for doing that. And thank Thanks, you for brother. taking the time with me today, man not a problem it's been really nice talking to you man i hope you have a lovely day and also come see us at the rec room on december 3rd and at state theater on november 27th i hope everybody has a great day there you go that's josh talley from in dead nation out of uh out of we're gonna call it towson maryland now the baltimore area have a great day my friend thanks so much take it easy I always enjoy talking to a drummer, so thank you, Joshua, for taking the time today. If you like what you are hearing today and would like to support the podcast, we have two different ways for you to do that. You can make a one-time contribution via PayPal or become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month that includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, community hang time, videos from home and on the road, including some old DSO footage, and much, much more. You can support the cause, learn more about the podcast and our sponsors, read my blog, or contact me through our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might use. Thank you for your continued support and for helping spread the word. Our feature conversation today is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, go to Grateful Sweats for subtle dead designs. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy and see for yourself. Designs only other heads will get. When you're wearing the state of Tennessee with a jet in the middle of it and someone says, nice shirt, you know they're on the bus. The cap with a single finger in the air makes its point, and you can look great on tour with men's and ladies' tees and tanks, caps, pins, and clearance items as low as $5. Get them at www.etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats, or click from our sponsors link at themusicplaystheband.net. My guest today is Stu Allen, and like I said earlier, Stu and I have known each other for a long time. 
Uh, we've played together often, both on stage and on the golf course. But due to the pandemic and his being on the West Coast, it has been quite a while since we've caught up with each other. We saw each other in passing at the Days Between Festival out in California this past summer, but with the way everybody had to be sequestered and bubbled to stay safe, we really didn't get a chance to talk. So this was great to really just get to sit and talk and catch up. Okay, hello everybody. I am here today with guitarist Stu Allen. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. Thanks, Rob. How are you? I'm great, man. It's good to see you. We saw each other for just a second in passing at Hangtown. A quick hug and with masks on. Days between. Days between, right. Not Hangtown. Somewhere in California. (laughs) And and that was it. We didn't really get a chance to hang, but uh, it's good to get to do it today, man. How, How have you been? Doing all right? Getting through. Getting through. Working uh, occasionally, but somewhat regularly. Occasionally, but somewhat regularly. What 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 have what have you been doing mostly to keep busy during this insane, crazy time for everybody, but musicians in particular, not being able to work? Uh, just learning new material. Some of that. Just trying to suss out what gigs make sense and. Yeah. You know, from safety and what's going to give you the most bang for your buck or buck for the bang, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> we do have to make um, a living, folks. <laughs> yeah, we do. So, you know, keep keep it safe and, and, and you know, make it all viable and, right. and fun. And, How's your golf and, game? And not, not get into too much controversy. Stay, uh, true to your your own beliefs and and feelings about all the golf game yeah <laughs> no playing much Le- learning a couple new things here and there but that's always tricky you know just changing up your whole swing yeah that's never it takes years it takes takes a lot of a lot of hours <laughs> Right. Well, I know I know you're back at it playing now, though, because I, I know you recently went out to Colorado and, and did some gigs with Phil. Do you have any other things going on at the moment? Uh, just uh, local stuff. Got a uh, couple Terrapin shows this weekend. Right on. That Those are outside on the beach park? Beach park, yeah. Right on. I haven't even seen that yet. I've never never seen it, but it look, looks really cool. It's beautiful. Um, you, I know this for a fact, you grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville, Louisville. We were just there not too long ago. Louisville. Louis, Louisville. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit how you got started in music? Uh, I just uh, asked my folks for a guitar for, for Christmas. How old were you? 14. But I had had an arm injury, so I didn't get a cast off until I was 15. So I technically started when I was 15. And just started learning on your own? Uh, lessons. Once a week and then uh, and then twice a week. Because I was, I was into it. Right on. Were you practicing all the time, just sitting and playing as much as you could? Yeah. Let me ask you this. If you did the same thing I did, because I was taking lessons. Did you practice what you were supposed to be practicing for your lessons? Or did you practice what you wanted to because you thought it was cool? I did both. I think I had a teacher who gave me stuff that I thought was cool already. Yeah. Like he was like, bring in, bring in songs and I'll teach you how to, to play them. So, so what was, what were some of those early influences? Who were some of those songs? There's a lot of, uh, Hendrix, Clapton, Zeppelin. Who was turning you on to all that stuff? Real, real guitar stuff. You know, who was turning, uh, I mean, we're teenagers. That's way past our time. We're teenagers like in the 80s. I know. You know? I, know. I was talking about this the other day is that like, it's hard to believe that in high school, all that stuff wasn't even, or was about 20 years old. And Nirvana is now 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and henceforth, we are older. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. So a lot of that's coming from classic rock radio for you at that point, probably. Yes, it was a little bit was on the radio and but uh, I mean, that's the kids at my school were all passing around that stuff. What? Yeah. So let's talk about when did you first get turned on to the dead? Do you remember? I mean, it was uh, late 80s. 
they were kind of on my radar, but you know, I didn't really get the bug until my first show. I'm sure that happens for everybody. Your first show, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> Was that that Louisville show in, in what, 89, I guess? 89, yes. Uh, April 9th, Freedom Hall. I was there. Nice. Yeah, they, they played in Cincinnati the night before. Nice. And, and I went to that, and then we came to Louisville and hung out with some of my friends in that same area you grew up in and right. stayed, at the, stayed at their house and, and then went to that show, and they played Louie Louie that night. That's right. <laughs> Final actually, Louie Louie. We just played that show not too long oh, ago. Oh, cool. So it's yeah, the only time in once. Dark Star's history, probably the only time ever going forward as well that we played Louie Louie. Oh, really? Yeah, we never played that song, man. <laughs> Isn't that the, is that the only time they played it? No, I think it's a handful of times. That was that was actually the last the last one. I think they probably had put it away, and then they're like, "Hey, we're playing Louisville. Let's play Louie Louie." Right. I remember being out in that parking lot at Freedom Hall. I remember the night before that in Cincinnati it was super super cold. Like we had to buy blankets from the vendors because we were so cold and we needed to wrap up. And then came down to Louisville. So that was your first show. And were, were you fairly familiar with the material at that point? Or is that, is that the one that just reeled you in? I wouldn't say I knew a lot of the material by then. I mean, that just kind of got my attention. I didn't see him again until summer of 91. It came to Louisville again in 90, but I was out of town on a family trip. Right. So, so missed it, but. During that time between that first and second show, were you like totally immersed in the Grateful Dead at that point, trying to just suck it all in? I mean, it was happening. I was, uh, you know, getting tapes and doing a lot of listening. It was so different guitar wise from what I was playing. Uh, I was mostly playing blues scale stuff, you know, and minor, minor blues scale stuff. So, it was kind of a new thing to figure out, figure my way around major and discovering Mixolydian modes and things like that. Grateful Dead really, really advanced my understanding of modes. Is, is, is that what grabbed you and sucked you into the music? What would you say? I mean, I, I, as a guitar player, I would assume it was Garcia. But what really, what was yeah. it about this that grabbed you and just sucked you into this Grateful Dead world? I had to put that into words. Um, just, it seemed like, it just seemed like magic. You know, it was, uh, you didn't understand how they put it together, but it, like when it all came together, it was, it was, seemed like something bigger than, you know, six guys on a stage. It seemed like they had an antenna to something something bigger they were in they were in touch with you know the universe on some kind of way did the scene was that part of it for you as well not just what was going on on stage sure, but everything that, around it that was certainly part of uh the thing that originally caught my eye but um I mean, just, just all the, the cultural stuff. But as far as that goes, something, what really grabbed me was all the energy of, of the people and just being excited about it and being turned on by it and sharing their experiences of that, feeling something, you know? Yeah. After you left high school, so you're in Louisville, Louisville. And, and you graduate from high school. And then did you go on to study music or did you go straight to college? Were you playing in bands? And what happens next in your musical evolution? I went to Minnesota. Went to college there. Got an original band up there called Blue Man Jive. The origin, original music, acoustic band. Mostly went to, it wasn't until um, my late 20s that I went to. Berkeley in Boston. Right, right. How long were you at Berkeley? Four years. 
when you that's let me ask you this that's a that whole berkeley scene it's it's a it's a different breed of musician and it's a whole different culture of music it's yeah. super serious and so many different different things going on up there and you know it's, it's it's the factory if you will but what did you feel like so i've talked to other people here you know i've interviewed some other folks who went to berkeley also and i never asked them this question what did you feel was the stu- the other students, the other people there, you know, the, the, the people I have recorded who said, oh, yeah, I was the hippie outcast at Berkeley, blah, 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 you know, and it was different. What do you feel like the other students at Berkeley, what was their view of a guitar player like Garcia? Uh, it's hard to say. I, you know, some of them, I think, get it. The uh, student body at, at Berkeley is such a vast spectrum on a lot of uh, of on a lot of levels, you know, of just of what you're into and what you think is cool and what you think is good. A lot of people, there was a lot of respect. There was a teacher there that called Garcia for an interview for like the local or the, the school magazine or something. <laughs> Garcia apparently was like, they, they want to interview me. Wow. Yes. Cool. <laughs> I've arrived, man. It's Berkeley. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Did, did you ever see the article? Do you remember it? I, I'm not sure it ever happened. I think it might have been set up right before he died and then it, uh, it didn't happen. But but he was excited about it. When you were back before you went to Berkeley and you were playing in that the 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 original group, Blue Man Jive. And even at Berkeley, at that point in your playing, as you're evolving as a player and exposed to all this stuff, is Garcia influencing you much at that point from a playing standpoint? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, for sure. Was was there room to bring that into, like, Blue Man Jive? Definitely. Yeah, we played some Grateful Dead songs. Yeah. At, at our shows. You mentioned, like, we're talking about the influence, and you mentioned the modal thing and all that. Uh, specifically, the, the modal thing, I'm sure, is a huge one. What is that the aspect of his playing? What aspect of his playing had the biggest influence on you? What, what do you take out of his playing that really, really influenced how you evolved as a guitar player? Melodic phrasing. Phrasing. Um, and building on that, having a continuity telling a story, a progression, having it uh, cohesive and just not be random, you know? Right. Not noodling, not as noodling. they say. Uh, a lot of that stuff that you're talking about right there is, is, and this is a huge part of being a musician, obviously, but a lot of the stuff you're talking about right there is more of a, a mental approach. When did you say, you know, how am I going to construct this? And, uh, uh, I don't want to say because you don't really want to think while you're playing, but you you know that's the stuff that you're that's influencing. What about any technical stuff that he was doing? You know, he was doing a lot of stuff from a lot of different places. So, like uh, finger picking, which he you know was taking from like country blues that he would do with. Uh, the acoustic band and uh, Garcia Grisman and stuff. And he would incorporate that into his electric playing also. So I was, I wasn't doing that before, before I heard him do it for sure. But, uh, uh, different, there's some cool ideas on chromaticism. He does a lot of cool chromatic things and rhythmic things. Garcia doesn't get the credit that he deserves. I don't think as far as his rhythm, as far as his rhythmic sensibilities and his rhythm playing, but just even when he's playing leads, his rhythmic sensibilities and what he's doing. Yes. I would say also uh, a lot of my rhythmic playing. uh, He influenced a lot of my rhythmic playing. Can you touch on his rhythm playing? Some of my favorite stuff is, um, is in JGB when, when Melvin's taking a solo, you can hear him over there just chunking these jazz chords. <laughs> but uh, he's just so rude with it. <laughs> Dirty and greasy, man. Yeah. Yes. Let's yeah. uh let's 
let's talk about Melvin and JGB for a minute. You were, you spent, you had a long run, six, seven years, right? Seven. Yeah. Seven years. How did, how did that start? Well, uh, he had a guy quit the band right before a tour. And he was the bass player, Ron Penke, Penke. Ronnie Penke. Yeah. Who played with the new writers after that for a long time. Yeah. He and Johnny Markowski. All right. We're in the band. Well, Johnny was in JGB too. Yeah. How did I not know that? Johnny and I play golf all the time. I didn't even oh, know really? that. Yeah, yeah. I love Johnny. Yeah. So he, Ron quit the band and he was playing bass. Pardon me. He was playing bass, but he was also singing the tunes. Right. And because it was so close to the tour, um, evidently Melvin was like, we're going to have to cancel the tour. And the guy playing guitar was Jeff Cerniak who I knew from Minnesota. And he was like, I need these dates, man. How about I call this guy I know in Minnesota? I wasn't in Minnesota, but I know from Minnesota. And I'll switch to bass. Ooh. So that's how I got in. Jeff played bass on my first JGB tour. And did you just come in cold or come in hot as it would be? Just came... Yes, and I hadn't done that much JGB material. So, you know, I sent him an audition CD or whatever. And he hired me sight unseen. I met him behind the bar of the first gig. <laughs> and, uh, and that gig was great. I remember that gig going really well. And then the next few were a little shaky. <laughs> but, uh, but we eventually got it together. And he was on board with uh, doing more. And more you did, seven years more. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I would have met. Well, was there, it's, you know, is there, it's such a different catalog than the dead. Is is there a different attitude or, or do you have to approach that catalog of music differently than you approach the Grateful Dead? It's a few things. Um, well, like we were talking about, I mean, there's, there's no rhythm guitar players. So you're, when Melvin's taking a solo, you really, I think that's why he really got into it was because he was filling that space and, uh, you know, get the one drummer thing. So different in that way. Also, you're filling more space. And I think it's kind of part of how he, how he set that band up was just, he could just go and everybody, everybody jumps, jumps on board. You don't, uh, you don't have the, one song into the other it's just like every song ends for some reason you know we just didn't didn't do that the segue thing um having the the voc background vocalists it's just beautiful and otherworldly you know on some of those those big ballads right it just takes you to a different place you know Right. I, I would also imagine, I'm guessing, but you'll be able to tell me uh, that, that, that the difference in the bass player styles would impact the playing as well. You know, Khan is very much on the beat. And that's like the, the yeah. complete 180 from Phil, who's completely Absolutely. around the beat. So does yeah. that change the way you have to attack it or approach it? Or does it just inspire you differently? I think you just react differently. I mean, I... I haven't thought about what that means specifically, but yeah, you're riding a different wave. <laughs> yes. The bass is the different wave. Yeah. Um, whenever I get to see him, I saw him somewhere this summer and we've had opportunities in dark star to play with Melvin. <clears throat> and when I play with mm -hmm. him or even when I watch him from behind or on the side of the stage, it's so uplifting. Was, was it, what what was it like to play with that? It's got to be so inspiring. It's incredible. I mean, I mean, even after seven years, he would do something and just like, just melt your brain. Yeah. Just like, how are you getting that sound out of that organ? No one else in the world gets those sounds out of an organ. I mean, don't you agree? I mean, he'll play yeah. something you just like, what? <laughs> It happens whenever that? I watch. <laughs> it's, it's great to hear that it still happened to you after that long run. Yeah. You know, it, I, I'd imagine even within a, sim, a uh, 
even within one song, as time went on, you could still get that feeling even. Yes, absolutely. You know, I wish we had recorded some of our sound checks because he, some just madman stuff would, would come out of him during sound check. There's, I mean, I, I remember you like Baracko, who's taken some lessons with him mm. on occasion when we're out in the Bay Area. He'll go to Melvin's house and, 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 and get some pointers. He still can't see the draw bars. He won't let him look, you know, and see the settings <laughs> and all that. Those are my settings. Nobody touched. Don't, don't, don't look. Um, so Chuck Berry. Yeah, so Chuck Berry, who um, <laughs> is actually featured in this episode. You didn't know that. You know, I do this black music moment in each episode, and today we're featuring Chuck Berry. So wow. perfect, perfect segue. Um, but like Baracko and I will watch him, you know, and, and even Baracko now, still, there's plenty of times where we'll be on the side of the stage and do what nobody can see what you just did. But that aha <gasps> moment where Baracko and I was like, holy shit, did you just hear what he did? <laughs> or if we're playing with him, which, you know, happens on pretty frequently, you know, over the years mm-hmm. and everybody in the band will just all of a sudden <gasps> and smile at each other. And yes. How fucking cool was that? You know? Awesome, man. And, you know, now you're out in the Bay Area, you live out there and you do a lot of, you just recently went out and played with Phil. You play with him often. How, how did your association with Phil come about? Uh, well, Phil opened Terrapin Crossroads and he was looking for more people to play with. And uh, Jay Blakesburg gave him a list of people to check out. I was on that list. So thanks, Jay. <laughs> Big plug for photographer Jay Blakesburg. Yes. Um, and, and he listened and contacted you? Yep. Do you remember when that was? When the first time you played had, with him was? I had actually sent Phil something years earlier uh, to JC Flyer, but uh, nothing had come out of it. So, But when I finally met Phil, he said, he said, this is great. Looking forward to this. He said, it's been in, this has been in the hopper for a while. Awesome. So I don't know how long I was actually on his radar. It sounded like maybe longer than just just the the Terrapin timeline, but that's really cool though, man. Somewhere in his consciousness that it already was already forming. It was already happening. Yes. You 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 get a really neat unique perspective of this music because you front numerous outfits of your own. We're gonna talk about that in a few minutes. And then you play with Melvin and Phil and members of the dead on a fairly regular basis. Um, do you, when you're playing like w- with them, I don't know if this is the right way to ask it, but I don't know how else to ask it. Do you have to, do you have to alter your playing or, or tone it down? Or is there a, a different degree? I don't want to use the word reverence. I don't, I'm not sure. Is there any difference for you when it's fronting your band or when you're playing with Melvin or Phil? Completely. Uh, not so much with Melvin. So I felt like he wanted me to lead the band. He recognized that I was getting what it was that Garcia was doing on some level, but, uh, and, and just to, just to go like, like I just would go and, and I, I never really got a lot of, notes from him on that but uh phil you know all the dead guys uh here and phil i guess specifically um you know i just had heard that they didn't want anyone who played remotely like garcia you know they wanted something different um So I was always a little sensitive to that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Phil's philosophy, it's almost like Dixieland during the jams where just everyone's kind of taking a lead at once. So you're less out in front, leading the charge, leading the arc, uh, than you just then then it is a conversation clarinet and trombone soloing at the same time yes yeah and uh so sometimes i forget but i i like 
you know, he has the different lineups from time to time, but if someone's coming in to play with Phil for the first time, if I can remember, I like to talk to them about that because like, and, and let them know, look, I'm not stepping on your solo. This is, this is how he wants it. You know, like if, if you hear me start to solo, don't just go away and give me room, come back at me to, to dance. But it's a dance. It's, I it's, love that. It's, it's new for people, you know, sometimes who, who haven't played in that, that idiom before. I, I, I love the Dixieland analogy. Yeah. I do, because in a Dixieland band, you'll have four guys soloing. You know, they all take their little passes, and at the end, those last three or four passes, it's everybody soloing on top of each other. Yes. And there's so much energy coming out of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that analogy. You had mentioned you had mentioned that Melvin didn't give you a whole lot of notes about what yeah. you were doing. Um, did Phil ever give you specific instructions? Does he? I'm sure it's changed over the years, but specific instructions or direction on how to approach it or just other more song arrangement wise, like how he'll he'll map out the arcs he wants, uh, dynamic arcs in uh, say unbroken chain, like he wants it to peak here and then you know and then get quiet here and things like that. And with with your with your affiliation with Phil and TXR over the years you've been acted in the role sort of as the house band at TXR. I mean, I know there's times when you've been playing in the bar sometimes every night and, and you have a weekly gig, which I've played on with you one time and had a blast. Uh, the Mars hotel thing. Another one of your projects does your Ashkenaz thing. So, you know, those are like staples in the Bay area dead scene these days. Can you comment for me on the community out there? Cause you, you see it as much as anybody. It's amazing. It, uh, it uh, continues to amaze me. Uh, just how strong it is. Um, I was watching some stuff the other day, just looking around, you know, Googling Stu Allen, even though I know you still got to do my Google. And I saw just a, a bunch of video from, from playing in the bar at TXR. And it could be a random afternoon or a random evening. And there's people on the stairs and there's people all around that little stage. And it's just a, a weekday afternoon or whatever. And they're grooving. Yeah. They're just into it all the time. Aren't they? They're ready to go. Uh, I'm so grateful for it because uh, it really keeps you going, keeps you afloat. Right. Um, I mean, you know how it is when the house is not full, how heavy your hands feel. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it harder. I mean, it does. Even for people who like us, who love to love, to love, to play, it still makes it harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you got a full house or even, you know, have a house (laughs) and, and, and they are expressing the energy and the love it uh, it gives you fuel, and you feel lighter. You feel buoyant. Like that, that night at Ashkenaz, when I came out, and we were in town, we had a night off for those of you who were there. And and Pete Lavazzoli, who has been on the show, was playing drums that night, and you invited me and Dino to come as well. So we had three drummers and two drum sets. Yeah. And, and, and we just rotated through, okay, the two of us will play this. Hey, you want to play this one? I'll sit out. Okay. You two play this one. And, and I had never been to that place, the, the mythical Ashkenaz that we've heard about all these years where, where yeah. Mars hotel has their weekly. And it wasn't, I thought it was a bar. It was more of a coffee house kind of feel. Um, the place was amazing. The energy was off the hook. What was that? Oh, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something. Wednesday. probably. It, it was off the hook. Yeah. Do you see the same people? Do you see different folks? A little bit of both? A little bit of both. There's a little bit of an East Bay Marin split, but uh, but there's lots of crossover. But there are some folks that are you see on one side over at TXR, or uh, yeah, TXR, and one side that you see only Ashkenaz? I think so, um, but lots of crossover. 
right on. And and the and the community of musicians you have out there is so sick and strong as well, man. That enables me to do what I do. I think. Yeah, you have you have access to some of the greatest players around, and you sort of use a revolving cast on at least on the Ashkenaz thing. I guess on the TXR thing too. How does that work for you? How do you do that? Well, it keeps it interesting, keeps it fresh. Um, and it's been amazing that there's, there's a technological aspect that, that has come through just in time. And that's these iPads and their ability to airdrop charts. Right. So someone calls a song. We just airdrop the charts to the other guys and we're all playing a song. Someone's leading it who knows the tune and everyone else is playing it for the first time. And you'll just airdrop it right on stage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that's as fresh as it gets, my man. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't know and that. You get really, uh, I, I got really good um, at being a band leader in song band leader, like, you know, cueing people, Hey, this, that one part on the chart is coming up now, or, you know, here comes the ending, like, or, or we're making up an ending right now. Like, like we're in this section and I'll just play a figure and repeat it until everyone's got it. And they they know, okay, this is the last time. And we'll nail this figure. And we just, we've just made up an ending on the spot and nailed it. That's so, so much fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. That's so much fun. And, and yeah. I'm sure it doesn't always work. You're fine. I hear no. that. Cli- <laughs> here's, here's the cliche. We're working without a net. Yep. And sometimes it's going to be great. And sometimes yep. it may fall. Yes. And then we pick ourselves up and we do it again. Yep. Do Hurry you up, start the next song? Right. <laughs> Sorry, here we go. When we really know well now. Yeah. <laughs> question yes. for you. <laughs> yes. Um, do you like when you do those gigs, do you have certain go-to players that you use, whether it's TXR or Ashkenaz, or do you try and change it each week to keep it fresh? I try to change it. I was I was changing it, you know, every gig just to try to keep it fresh and keep everyone rotating through and get everyone, everyone involved on a semi-regular basis. You have so many different projects that you've done with this with. I don't know how many are, are what's what I'm looking for. I don't know how many are active right this second, but there's, you know, you got the Phil thing and the Mars hotel and you had, what was the other one? The ghost of electricity. Yeah. Um, you even did some grateful grass stuff with Keller. I did grateful gospel, grateful yeah. gospel. Right, right, right. Grateful, grateful gospel. Sorry about that. I have grateful grass on the brain. Just, yeah, man. <laughs> they were just here last <laughs> week with the grateful grass thing. And that's why I'm talking oh, right. about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I just talked to Keller earlier today as well. Um, how, how do you keep it all straight? That's tough. You know, there's uh, everyone's got their different versions. Uh, Keller's are some of the more obscure versions of these tunes to try to mm-hmm. keep straight. Uh, I feel like I always have one train wreck and, <laughs> on his shows i'm like oh yeah right now i remember well his his angle on that is coming from such a different place he's using the more than the guys from his band more than a little which is just a a, a funk outfit really and they're not right. as it and they're not deadheads they don't know this music they're playing it and interpreting it in a cool cool way but they don't come yeah. from this music mm-hmm. and then you if you're playing with them you totally come from this music so it's it's like melding of two very different backgrounds coming together to to play a hybrid of this music. They've learned that version and that's the version they know. And I've got to remember how it's not the version I know. That's interesting there. So you got to keep it all straight. Go ahead. I was just going to say, but super fun. Right. Um, You're, you are, you're one of the few players. I mean, Jeff is one of them and there's guys out there, but you're one of these guys uh, who's been fortunate enough to play on several of Jerry's guitars. Yeah. Which ones have you gotten your hands on? Alligator, Wolf, Tiger. Uh, if you got Alligator, did you also get that Martin Acoustic? The Martin Acoustic, yeah. That Andy has with it? Yeah. That, yes. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> just the mojo and nice. Yeah, I, I actually got to strum that guitar. It was pretty awesome. And all the rest of them, I'm scared to hold. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm like, you just found out something new about that guitar, which is that we went to uh, to see the Peter Rowan and the Rowan brothers were at Terrapin. And uh, Andy brought that guitar down. And Peter told him that Jerry loaned him that guitar to play in Olden in the Way. Really? So that was like, if you look at pictures, there's like this brown, dark streak or like a stripe almost on it. And I'm like, yep, that's the guitar. He played that's... it. He played it during Olden in the Way and classic music story, music story here is that he uh, jerry said hey i'm gonna come by and pick up that guitar and he said that's how i knew old in the way was done <laughs> for real that's what he told you yeah well he didn't tell me he told those guys so i'm stealing their story but <laughs> <laughs> when so that night at did peter play that guitar that night at turpin yes that's gotta be what a trip to go back for him and play that guitar 50 years later or whatever. yeah yeah really when you have those axes in your hand, does the, 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 the mojo coming off of those things, does that have an impact on your playing? It'll hit you. You know, you're, you're in playing mode. So you're thinking about what you're doing and then, and then a tone will come out. And he's stepping like, back from the camera. Be like, wow. I can't see that, but his hands are up and he's moving backwards. <laughs> it, just, it just gets you, huh? Yeah. Well, so this is radio. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, the, the video is just okay. for me and you. Nobody will see any of this. Okay. It's, Got it's it. just so we can see each other's smiling faces. The, the nice. podcast will just be audio. Do you have a favorite out of those axes you've been able to play, whether just favorite as, as it is as an axe or favorite as, as, as it is with what it did to you emotionally when you well, were playing it? I didn't spend much time with Tiger. Alligator's got some serious mojo. It's... uh. It's what, 54 strat? Yep. So already it's it's an amazing guitar to be able to play. And uh, it's got the the mods that they did. Stratoblaster. I'm not the guy to ask, but but it, it really you can get some some beautiful rich tones out of it. And then it's got all that Europe 72 mojo in it. Yes. It's that's another thing that hits you while you're playing. You're like, God, this is the guitar that that made made those sounds on uh, that whole record and that whole tour. And I remember Jeff saying, "This is the guitar that made some of my favorite music of all time." Of all time, absolutely. And it definitely he played it. He's played it twice now, I think. But he played it first time in Santa Cruz, like in May or something. He was a different cat on stage that night, man. Yeah. He was, he was a completely different cat. Just not, not just the energy coming out of him. He was, I mean, he always plays with some fire, but it was just, mm -hmm. whoo. You know, yeah. and he came off and his hands were like this, you know, and I'm shaking guys, just kind of pulled him up in front of me. He's like, holy shit. You know, it was a big moment, just again, the mojo. So you guys are, you, you know, you, Jeff, some of the guys, it's so great that Andy and, and some God of the other guys Andy, yeah. who own those axes, bring them out and don't just keep them in a glass case. Like the ones that are at the rock and roll hall of fame or keep them in a safe deposit box. They get them out and they put them in the right guy's hands to <clears throat> have those axes do what they're supposed to do. That's what, that's what he says. He says, hopefully I can keep some of this stuff in front of collector's glass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, Went after that gig, I ended up going over to his house. He took me back to the airport. He's like, "Can we stop by the house?" And it's like twelve thirty at night, and I got a five a.m. flight. Studio. Like, I still got to go do this. Have you been there? Yes, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I want to. I want to get get him to give me some. Put some video up of it on on my website and stuff. But for those you know, we're talking about Andy Logan, who uh, he's come up on the show before. Who owns Alligator and the Martin Acoustic and Grateful Guitar Foundation. Yeah, and he's helping put guitars into people's hands who need them, you know, players uh, doing some great stuff and just has a six. I got to get him on the show one day to talk about all that. Yes, yeah. Um, just has a sick, sick collection 
of, of guitars and basses that run the gamut. Um, all right, pal, before I let you go, I do this with all my guests. Uh, it's going to be a quick lightning round. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just going to ask the question. Try and answer it as quick as you can. It doesn't always. This started out as the world's slowest lightning round in the world. 23 episodes in, they're getting a little faster. But uh, here we go. First show, we already answered this one. First show was Louisville 89, right? Right. Favorite show? Favorite show. One of them was uh, Autzen Stadium 93, 92. I don't know if I have an absolute favorite, but that's the first one that comes to mind. No one comes. It's a real mind blower. Right on, man. Uh, studio recordings or live recordings? Live recordings. Favorite dead album? Live dead. That's actually a really common answer on that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. This one people don't really like because it's too hard, but favorite non Grateful Dead album, that Desert Island album. Uh, uh, Zeppelin 3 or Don Juan's Reckless Dog? Or what? Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, Joni Mitchell. First job. First job. Swinging salads at a deli diner place. <laughs> Favorite color? Color red, currently. Favorite venue to play? Terrapin. Best city for a day off? city for a day off home home that is also not an <laughs> uncommon answer <laughs> first car volvo sedan current car 85 85 current car current car 99 bmw same one 23 same one you had no. when you lived here my current car is a loner from the mechanic because <laughs> my car is about to be is about to be shipped off to the farm is that the same one you had when you lived in when you were in st louis no that's a different different beamer that's a that was a 325 right 325 uh book you are reading right now hemingway uh I haven't picked it up in a bit. Which one is it? For Whom the Bell Tolls. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Any magazine subscriptions? No. And what is the one thing you are looking forward to most when this madness is over? Uh, resuming working indoors. <laughs> there you go, working indoors. No. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. I'm tired of outdoors. Not, not that I don't love playing outdoors, but love playing outdoors, not in the winter. Yeah, I mean you're lucky in a I mean sure you're you're in the northern part of California, but you can play outdoors a little later into the year than some of A little of later into the year, for sure. You know, will you be able to play outdoors in like January and February out there? Or is it just too cold? I think we will, but it won't be pleasant. Right. <laughs> yeah, and we will still be thankful that we're getting to do it, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. <laughs> yep. right on man we will well, hey, still be grateful <laughs> yes we are definitely grateful that we for any work these days um and i'm glad you're still doing it buddy it's good to catch up with you it's good to talk you to as you. well thank you for taking the time today man let's get out on the links very soon if we get back to san francisco soon let's play some golf you know yes. you never get back to this part of the country right now do you i do i'll be back there uh for the holidays in louisville for sure yeah I just played a really nice one down there not too long ago. Um, oh, yeah, where? Neville Mead. I don't know that one. I, it might be new. I don't know. My buddies took me there because the Cardinal Club was closed that day, and it was awesome. Nice. Really liked it. So let's go to Louisville and play Neville Mead. Very good. Right on, folks. That is Stu Allen joining me today. Again, my friend, thank you for hanging out with me. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rob. All right. Stay safe. You too. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I would like to thank Stu Allen and Joshua Talley for being here. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. 
Well, there's some big stuff happening here, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, beginning with our next episode, The Music Plays the Band will become a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which features over 80 music podcasts covering all genres. I am, I'm thrilled to be a part of their family and bring this podcast and knowledge and stories of the Grateful Dead to an even wider audience. So uh, look for some big stuff happening when we move over to Pantheon. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution, and please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back in two weeks with episode 24. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. Things are starting to go the right way again, but we really need to keep that up. So take care of yourselves, and just as importantly, think about those around you as well. Thanks for being here. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.